0: The Founding Fathers American Revolution Our Constitution Our History America Thanks so much for tuning in as we discuss the people, places, events, and battles that turned 13 separate colonies into the greatest nation on earth, the United States. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host Ron Kern, and today we're going to pick up where we left off of in episode eight, episode nine. Our last episode happened to be a a bonus uh, show uh, where we discussed the Sons of Liberty. So hopefully you caught that one. If not, just click on that and enjoy it. But right now we're back on track with the events and quasi timeline of the American Revolution. Uh, There are several things and. uh, events and uh, battles and acts that kind of overlap. Uh, but I do want to present everything in a uh, somewhat chronological order. Uh, the bonus episodes are for special events or people or places or things that uh, may fit in uh, during the timeline that I'm currently at, uh, or maybe sometime in the future. But uh, that's kind of the the skeletal um, makeup of the show. And we haven't reached the actual war or for that matter even the boston massacre but it's important to understand the background and history and the events that led up to the declaration of independence and eventual fighting there are for those intrigued and interested in the revolution as i am there are so many places and people and events and things to consider and and to dive deep in it's just super exciting even after we reached the war's conclusion Many people feel that we fought, we won, somehow we beat the most powerful uh, army in the world, and, and then everybody, all the colonies held hands and it was great. So opposite of that. Uh, so even after the war's conclusion, we're gonna have a tremendous amount of really uh, interesting things to talk about. Uh, the creation of America and the story of America is, is rather complex. And so if you if you don't know the background or the key events uh, and the people involved, uh, it would do an injustice to the cause and all of those behind the scenes that, that risked everything for the forming of our country. As we discussed a few shows back, uh, I've started to put all of the links of interest right here on the show notes in lieu of our website, as that seemed to be what the majority wanted, and several people reached out, and it made sense, so we switched. So for each show, uh, for instance, this one's going to have links to some of the acts that I'll be talking about. And for each show, everything that I talk about will be right at the bottom of the show notes. So you can click and see the actual documents or read more. So it just makes sense. So if you're looking for links and uh, reference uh, material, it will all be contained within each episode. So with that said... Don't forget our, our website because it does still contain many amazing articles, information, and resources for you to scour. I've made some additional changes, so the website is even more user-friendly, easy, clean, and informative as possible. And that's patriotpowerpodcast.com or I love com. All right. With those housekeeping items out of the way, we left off last episode discussing the reaction to the many acts that England imposed and eventually repealed. One would have thought that continuing to impose these acts, which were nothing more than taxes and a a way to show or impose power on the colonies, wasn't a good idea. You, You would have thought they may have figured that out, but nope, they kept creating act after act after act. At the time, it may have been standard business as usual, but today looking back, it it's almost embarrassing and it makes England look quite desperate, uh, which we eventually learn uh, at the time they were. They were in fact the most powerful country. Uh, they were the most powerful army, but when it came to the colonies, that's kind of where everything started to shift for them. And um, so at any rate, I'm going to cover some of the most recognized acts in the Townshend Acts, which is a lot of different things, but we're going to cover the Quartering Act, the Townshend Act, and the Indemnity Act. I mean, just listening to these as I read them, it sounds like they're just coming up with anything and everything they could to impose on the colonies and and see what would stick. Uh, In reality, I'm not sure that wasn't the case. Now, there were several more acts or taxes or showing control that were passed that we won't talk about. Just know and understand that England never, ever ran out of ways on how to tax the colonies and never ran out of ways to try and show authority over them, or at least try to. All right, so let's dive into the Quartering Act. What was the Quartering Act? The Quartering Act of 1765 was actually part of a larger law known as the Mutiny Act. So Parliament passed this act every year, and what it did is it reauthorized the existence of the British Army, and typically they used that opportunity to make changes to uh, the soldiers' pay, disciplinary rules, or other military-specific matters. Uh, However, the 1765 Act addressed the issue of quartering in America, or places for them to live. So after consulting with colonial agents, which even included Benjamin Franklin and the governor of Massachusetts at the time, Thomas Pownall, a bill was crafted that required colonies to pay for adequate quarters of British soldiers. If such quarters were insufficient, then Quote, persons may be appointed and authorized in pursuant of this act and take up and hire, if it shall be necessary, uninhabited houses, outhouses, barns, or other buildings for the reception of such, such soldiers, that's hard to say, as the barracks and public houses shall not be sufficient to contain or receive. So many people think uh, when they hear the quartering act that meant that soldiers knocked on somebody's door and said, I'm going to stay inside your house. That was not what the Quartering Act was, and it did not authorize the military to quarter soldiers in occupied private residences. Now, I'm not saying that didn't happen or attempts weren't made by British soldiers, because frankly, if you could stay in a house or a barn with the animals, which one would you choose? Uh, So there were instances of that, but the Quartering Act did not authorize staying in someone's home. So if you had a barn, a cellar, outbuildings, or the like, they could stay in those. If those were all full in a town, then business owners actually had to house them with taverns and inns being the first ones to fill up. Gee, I wonder why. Well, both of those had alcohol and food, and uh, that's probably why those were the first to fill up. Um, The act forced colonies to provide the necessary quarters without charge and regardless of whether or not colonial legislatures approved it or not. So colonies would be stuck with all the costs, the same as if they were being taxed. Colonial legislatures had approved authorizations like this before, which I think is why uh, colonial agents thought, well, this bill will go through and be acceptable and not have a problem with it. Perhaps it would have been acceptable if this was an isolated deal, but combined with the Stamp Act, most colonists saw the Quartering Act as an attempt to dump costs on them without their consent. So why did the British soldiers even need a place to stay in the first place? Well, that takes us back to the Stamp Act. And in order to collect on the Stamp Act, which we covered in a previous episode, They needed a military presence to enforce it, and that created the need for space, as they all needed a place to live. In reading the Quartering Act, it's crazy if you read it. It's so pervasive, and and I, I will have a link in the show notes so you can do that. It removes any authority of the colonies that they had, any of the legislatures, the justice of the peace, or any other authority held by the colony. It was pretty much gone. And not only were you required to provide a place for them to live, you also had to feed them, provide drink, and in some cases, even do their laundry. Uh, The act did not leave any small detail out, such as, quote, "...officers and soldiers shall be received and furnished with diet and small beer, cider, or rum mixed with water." Or this gym on what was to be provided... Quote, candles, vinegar, and salt, bedding, utensils for dressing their victuals, and small beer or cider not exceeding five pints, or half a pint of rum mixed with a quart of water to each man without paying anything for the same. So wouldn't that be a crazy time to live in? You know, you're sitting in your home, and all of a sudden you're required to feed and and, and quarter soldiers at your own cost and as you may have guessed it uh, they acted and responded like you probably would it didn't really go over very well and to them the colonists it, it felt very unfair and exceptionally irritating this of all things really really irritated the colonists 1,500 British troops arrived in New York City in 1766, and the New York Provincial Assembly refused to comply with the Quartering Act. Yay! Somebody stood up to him, which then actually forced the troops, the British troops, to remain on their ships. Now, for failing to comply with the Quartering Act, Parliament imposed, you guessed it, another act, which was called the Restraining Act. And the Restraining Act suspended the province of New York's governor and legislature in 1767 and 1769. See, if you didn't do what Britain, what what they said, if you didn't follow their orders, they would punish you to the extreme of literally removing the state's governor and the entire legislature. It's just, uh, it's unreal. Now, New York initially stood firm, right? They refused, and and they were not going to adhere to any of that however they finally relented and the new york assembly allocated funds for the quartering of the british troops in 1771 it took a few years but without a legislature and a governor kind of hard to run your colony so uh, they they finally paid and england got their way now all other colonies with the exception of pennsylvania refused to comply with the quartering act and this act expired on march 24th of 1767 the quartering act did receive mention in the declaration of independence among the list of quote repeated injuries and usurpations attributed to the king for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us also mentioned was the standing army which the quartering act which the quartering act represented quote he has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. So that was also in the Declaration of Independence, uh, he being King George III. The Quartering Act is also the origin of the Third Amendment of our Bill of Rights, which says, no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war But in a manner to be prescribed by law. While quartering troops, or even more alarming, a standing army, was a big issue and a concern back then, the Supreme Court has never decided a case based on the Third Amendment. Regardless, I think it was a smart inclusion and I'm glad that it's there. A link to the full text of the Quartering Act is in our show notes. It's pretty interesting should you want to read all of it. Uh, It has some crazy things when you read it you're just like did they really think this was going to fly and like i said previously they didn't leave any detail out so anyway if you're interested in that click the link you'll you'll be dismayed and probably find some humor in it humor in it now but at the time it was far from anything funny all right so that was the quartering act the second act that we're going to cover is the indemnity acts And this act reduced the price of tea for the colonies overall. Were they doing this to be generous and kind to the colonists? Perhaps, but as with anything else then and now, uh, it, it was pretty much all about the money. So the colonies were one of the largest consumers of the East India Company tea. And the 13 colonies consumed a little more than a million pounds of it every year and so if if parliament was able to reduce the price they hoped that they would undercut the price of the smuggled tea which was happening in great volumes and because of the smuggled tea plain and simple england was losing money and this was part of the townshend acts and we'll see later on how this worked out for england the last act for discussion is more widely known the townshend acts Basically, the Townshend Acts were a series of laws passed by British Parliament in 1767, and what they did is they taxed goods imported to the American colonies. But American colonists, who had no representation in Parliament, saw the Acts as an abuse of power. Uh, These Acts went into effect November 20th of 1767. The Townshend Acts were named after Charles Townshend. He was a British uh, chancellor. in England, and he imposed duties on China, British China, glass, lead, paint, paper, and tea. Did you catch the last item? Tea? Uh, More to come on that. Benjamin Franklin told the British Parliament that the colonies intended to just start manufacturing their own goods instead of paying duties on imports. Now, that's easier said than done. Uh, Keep in mind that the 13 colonies imported about 40% of all goods. A majority of them were textiles and metal hardware. So to England, any boycott of any of their goods was a huge financial loss for them. And the items they included to tax seem, to me, a, a bit scattered and unrelated, such as glass, paint, and tea. However, if you think about it, they were very strategic items, that were chosen for taxation because he thought that those items would be the most difficult things for the colonists to produce on their own. When he created these um, taxes, he estimated that the duties would raise approximately £40,000 with most of the revenue coming from the tea. While the original intent of the import duties had been to raise money for England, Charles Townshend saw the policies as a way to remodel colonial governments. And the Townshend Acts would use the revenue raised by the duties to pay the salaries of the colonial governors and judges that they installed, ensuring that the loyalty of America's governmental offices to the British crown. Well, and by loyalty, I think he meant authority and control. But instead of raising money or bringing in revenue for England, It actually prompted colonists to take action and what they did was they boycotted british goods and they started to make their own goods like hey made in the usa right they started making all their items what a concept i wish we would do more of that uh, in our own country today but during this time when they started making a lot of uh, goods in the colonies really a lot of new innovations were created and eliminated the need of imports since they were able to produce it themselves. So it really backfired, Uh, the Townshend Acts backfired as almost every other single act they imposed did. They just didn't get it. But in addition to the boycotts, there were protests and some writings. Uh, One particular, I'll say document, it really hit home with a large population of the colonists. It was a series of essays that were widely circulated and, and that was called Letters from a Pennsylvania Farmer. And they were written by John Dickinson, who was a lawyer and a member of the Pennsylvania legislature. He's considered, uh, many consider him one of the founding fathers. And what these essays did, I, I believe there was 12 of them and uh, he, he would have one published and then it would be circulated throughout the colonies via the newspapers Uh, Then the next uh, week or publication, he would have episode two or series three, series four. Anyway, I believe there's 12. But what it did is it very obviously pointed out how many people felt. And at that point, it wasn't very common for somebody to write something like that. And I think it really inspired people both in the city and even not in the city to really start to think like this is not quite right now a statement was also printed uh, from sam adams and also james otis and and what those two gentlemen wrote were very impactful in stating opposition of the townshend act so it brought a lot of angst right? You had boycotts, you had protests, you had people writing about it, and people were starting to see, like, this is enough is enough. It was so bad, in response to the protests and everything that was going on, the British sent troops to occupy Boston and quell the unrest. By 1769, more than 2,000 British troops had arrived in Boston, and they were there to do one thing, and that was to restore order. Now two thousand troops, that doesn't sound or it may not sound like a lot, but it did equate to about thirteen percent of the entire population of Boston because at the time, Boston's population was about sixteen thousand. So it's a lot of a lot of soldiers to uh to put in a city that size. Well, what happens when you put a standing army in a city? Skirmishes, yep, and more protests and Uh, Skirmishes between patriot colonists and for the first time, surprisingly, loyalists partook in these skirmishes. This may have happened before, but this is the first time that I could find it documented uh, that they mention loyalists. And remember, loyalists are those who supported the king that were living in the colonies. But this is the first time that they the Loyalists ever went along with and or agreed with the Patriots. And not only that, but they got involved with action opposing England. To protest the taxes, Patriots often vandalized stores selling British goods, and they also used some intimidation methods to store merchants and their customers. Some of this was likely done by the Sons of Liberty, but they were not alone in their efforts. It was a real tough time to be a business owner back then. I mean, you need to sell your items, mostly uh, all imported from Britain, in order to stay in business and provide you know, for your, yourself and family. But if you boycotted them, you'd be out of business. If you sold them, you'd be looked down on or vandalized or uh, intimidated into compliance. So it was a tough deal for, for business owners. All of the Townshend Acts, except for the tax on tea, All of them were repealed in April of 1770. The tax on tea would remain and would become a focal point for, yep, you guessed it, the Boston Tea Party. Now we're getting close to to covering events leading up to that and beyond, which is pretty darn exciting, but um, they got rid of everything except the tax on tea. They again repealed everything like they've done before and it didn't work, and yet they continued taxing, 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 taxing imposing, imposing. I'm the boss. I'm the boss. It, it's, it's just you You can now realize the theme of what they were doing and how they were doing it. And things are heating up. So that is the acts that I really wanted to share uh, with you. It's important to know those for our, uh, our next episode. In fact, our next show will be a bonus episode. And I'm going to dive into the, the 12 essays that he wrote. Um, letters from a Pennsylvania farmer. There's so many tidbits and compelling information in those. Um, I just felt that Warren warrants a little further discussion. So that'll be a, uh, a bonus episode coming out shortly. After that, we're going to be discussing the occupation of Boston. And this is where things really, really heat up. It's here when the boiling point is reached and violence ends in death with the Boston Massacre. I have quite a bit of uh, information about the massacre and the occupation of Boston that isn't usually spoken about uh, very much. So it should be pretty interesting for you. One last final tidbit of information is for all of the chaos And the boiling points that were reached with the Townshend Acts, after it was passed, Mr. Townshend died suddenly at a very young age, I I believe, don't quote me, I think he was 44. So he created this, caused all this, and he never even got to see it. Thanks for listening and hope that you tune in next time with us here at the Patriot Power Podcast. Make sure that you hit subscribe so you'll get notified when our new episodes are available for you. And we hope that you check out our websites, which include our show notes, links, documents, and more at PatriotPowerPodcast.com or ILoveGeorgeWashington.com. Until next time, hope that you and your family have a blessed week. And remember, be safe and tell a veteran thanks for their service.